There is a methodology, there's a system, there's a way to do it. But when you don't know what you're doing, it feels like gambling. Welcome to Working Women Mentor, a podcast that empowers everyday women like you, like me, to share and learn from life's mentor moments. I am your host, Rainey Alpers, and in each episode, you will meet inspiring women that understand the power of recognizing mentor moments and how those moments can change it all. These fabulous women are here and ready to share it all with you. So let's dive in. Hey everyone, on this week's episode of Working Women Mentor, we're talking financial literacy and women in the workplace. Two wonderful things to bring together. We get to meet Tammy Trenta. I mean, she's been from a star on The Apprentice to now the founder and CEO of Family Financial. She's a mom of one. She is someone who passionately believes in building wealth, creating your own path, and surrounding yourself with those people that can help you. So this episode is loaded with tips, advice, and education, and we can't wait for you to meet her. There's more to come on Tammy because she's writing a book. She's doing all kind of fun things. So let's jump in and meet her, and I'll see you inside. Tammy Trenta, thank you so much for joining Working Women Mentor today. We're very excited to have you, your financial wisdom, and your business mind with us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Rainey. Tammy, before we really get started, tell us a little bit about your story and share with us how you got started in the industry you're in. As many of us might imagine, you stumble into things based on oftentimes a struggle or a challenge in your own life where you get an aha moment. I grew up on the East Coast. I would say middle to upper class family. My family was heavily involved in real estate investing. In my first year of college, I was told that my parents were splitting up and that they needed the money from my college savings account to pay for lawyers. So long story short, my parents ended up filing for bankruptcy. And it was up to me at that point to take out student loans and figure out my own way. So I stayed on campus in the summers. I waited tables and started to earn my own living. I applied for in-state residency. And as upsetting it was at that time, I look at it and I think it was a really defining moment in my life. And I'm glad I went through that experience because when it came time to apply for jobs after graduation, it allowed me to think long and hard as to what I wanted to do with my life. And I think so many of us, if you have your education paid for you, maybe you don't put that much thought into it, or maybe you go into a field that you're not sure if you're going to like or not. And then when you get out and start doing it, it's not like you thought it would be. For me, I had planned to apply to law schools. And my first job out of college was at a financial services firm. And it really resonated with me. And I thought, Well, if this doesn't work out, at least I really want to understand how to manage my own finances so that what happened to my parents did not happen to me. And the benefit was that I just really enjoyed it and now I get to help other people. So that's how I got into it. I think your defining story is so interesting because we learn so much by observation when we're younger. I think at any age, but especially those impressionable moments when we're younger and you had a lot of skin in your game 
in college. You had to probably be a little bit more focused or a little bit more aware of each class and cost and books and everything, maybe more than someone who is on a scholarship, for instance, or their college is already paid for. How was that for you on just those four years? I think originally I had looked at college as an opportunity for me to break away from a very conservative upbringing. I grew up on the East Coast. I went to Catholic school. My father was very strict. And when I went to college, I chose Arizona State, which at the time was known as a party school. And I was very sociable. So I went with that intention. And I think after my first year, when I realized it's really up to me, I need to advocate for myself. I took school very seriously. I finished my credentials in about three and a half years and then spent my last semester with internships. So I interned at John McCain's office and also at the attorney general's office to just get a feel for what politics were like because I was a little interested in that and then just what it would be like working in the public sector as an attorney. And so good experiences. I was eager to get out and start making money. What advice would you give women in their 20s entering the workforce and who may have just graduated or thinking about making that change from something they thought they wanted to do in school? I think the best advice that I could give is if you think that there is a field that you're interested in, apply and get a job and learn the business. There's really no better way. It's always good to take time after you graduate from college and get into the workforce and try different things. You make a more thoughtful decision as to what your career path will be and you minimize the risk of getting into a field where you've invested all of a sudden so much more money in education than you originally thought and then feel unfulfilled at some point where it's much harder to undo that and go backwards. That real life experience is really what you're suggesting, right? It's get out there, don't overthink it. If you have that interest, it's why not? Why not try it before you go too far, right? Try before you buy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but there's a lot of validity to that. And I know for me, once I decided to pivot that I was no longer going to be pursuing a career in the field of law, I decided to go back and get my MBA, but I did it while I was working. And that was great because when I graduated from business school, most of the students that were in the program with me were still trying to figure out their career paths. And I had a very specific idea of what I wanted to do. And I wasn't going to these job fairs with a lack of focus. I was very focused and I I knew what my next steps were going to be. So I was a lot more thoughtful in choosing a a position when I graduated from business school. And I think sometimes I imagine at that point, some folks are thinking, the perfect opportunity will come my way, or I'm still not really sure what I'm looking at. It sounds like you put a lot of time and thought into at least industry or category or, hey, at the very least, I'll try, like you said, try before you bow, try this for a little while. I mean, I think that's also great advice. Don't walk into a, a job fair and not know what booth you want to go to. Know a little bit about what interests you at the very least. Yes. There are also fields that you might be interested in and that interpretation of that job might not be the right fit for you. So it's not just the field, but it's what you would actually be doing and where your strengths and talents lie. And it's hard to really know when you've just studied it conceptually in school. 
Before you started with your own firm, I know you're the CEO of your firm now, you were working in the industry before and you now are running your own team, helping women all over. Your passion is even to just help women in business. So thank you for that. We have to know your mentor moment. We have to hear what is that moment that really someone shared with you that you wanna pass on. I really need to be honest and let you know that I have never had a mentor. I have always wanted a mentor, but for some reason, the women that I have encountered in my career in the financial industry, we almost worked against each other. It was disheartening because it would have been so nice to align myself with a woman who was a trailblazer and creating that path. I really had to learn how to figure it out on my own. But that said, throughout my career, I've really felt that it's so important to mentor any interns that I've had in the past or employees in the past. I want them to learn. I want them to develop. I want them to be better. And our industry, when I got started, it's just, it was so competitive. I almost felt like I was more aligned with men than women. I think that's changing now. And I hope it is because it was something that I didn't have. Not many of us did. And I love that you said that so candidly, (laughs) because honestly, it's why we have this podcast today, because you're right, we can really lift each other up and we don't have to work against each other. There's plenty of business out there. There's plenty of opportunity. And so often, I think many people have felt what you have felt and I have felt before. I think what's so admirable about that, though, is you haven't continued in the same pattern of what you were given. You learned through that, that, hey, this doesn't feel good. (laughs) And I think we actually should help and mentor. And I'm imagining you've impacted so many people along the way. I hope so. And I really want to do better. Like I said, I think lack of access to financial literacy is something I really want to focus on changing. And that's why I'm looking at developing a curriculum to, to help people that are just getting getting started, that maybe they're not ready for a full-blown advisor, but I can help guide them and give them some tips. I feel very strongly about that, and I think we could change the world if we could establish financial literacy requirements for anyone in high school or finishing college before they graduate. That's a strong statement. I have a 10-year-old and we talk about financial literacy all the time in our household. I I can remember fake dollar bills on our our dining table and we're counting them out. We're discussing the denominations. We had a book for him and we've gone through all the book about currency and it's been really fun to see his eyes open. When I pay with a credit card, he leaves the gratuity and does the math for me on the bill. It's just those small things that you do over time, I think with our children, and it really helps when they get out into the real world. Yes, because I see so many families who live very nice lifestyles and their children have grown up living a very nice lifestyle and they pursue their passion when it's time to go pursue higher education. And I think there's a lot of pressure on younger people to try to compete or to try to match the lifestyle that their parents have allowed them to have. And I want my son to know that you really need to work, that this just didn't happen. There was so much hard work that went into this and just the value of work ethic is something that's important for me to instill with him, allowing him to make educated decisions on which college he may choose or things like a return on an investment, things that 
I think will serve him in the future and set him up so he doesn't have a misaligned expectation once he leaves the nest. I'm going to have my son chat with you very soon, or at least your five-year-old <laughs> if, if we need to. I totally agree with you. And I, I bet there's more parents out there that do, or, or at least were even raised like that. I think it's a beautiful way to understand work ethic. It's probably one of my most admirable qualities in someone. Yes, I have a an intern who joined us recently. Her name is Haley, and she's fantastic. She's so passionate about helping raise awareness and financial literacy, and I've really taken her under my wing, and I'm just trying to teach her everything that I know, and it's such a good opportunity to be able to mentor someone. It makes me feel good, and she's learning. It's just a beautiful thing to be able to mentor other young women. I think it's beautifully said. The investor age group is getting younger as we know it, and we've got to switch over to money because that is definitely your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. There's the rise of these Robinhood apps and lower thresholds in investing. How would you approach or size up wealth building for a younger investor versus just really gambling in the market? Weigh in on this topic because a lot of people are talking about it right now. How are you feeling about all of this? Being in the industry for 26 years, I've seen that evolution and there is good with it. And there's also things that are not so good with it. For one, we are very much responsible for ourselves now, unlike what our careers may have been like 50 years ago. If you were to go get a job, you might have had a pension plan. The company saved money for you. And when you worked there for 25 or 30 years, at some point in the future, they would just pay a pension to you. And so there wasn't as much of a need to be educated on finances as there is today. So what we've seen is this evolution of technology, this empowering individuals to make decisions for themselves, but there is not a corresponding move towards educating people. Hardly any schools teach financial literacy. And I think that is where the problem begins. You've got students, whether they're graduating from high school or college, if they're pursuing a career in finance, in arts or in biology or medicine. No one is learning how to pay their bills and the importance of a credit score and all of those things that make you financially successful in life. I think that young women should avail themselves to education before they start jumping into those things. You hear so many stories about investors on Robinhood who bought an investment on margin and they committed suicide because they made a bad investment decision. And that's scary. And so many people that are not financially knowledgeable or financially literate will say that they think that investing is gambling. And it is not true. There is a methodology, there's a system, there's a way to do it. But when you don't know what you're doing, it feels like gambling. It's very hard to build wealth gambling in a sustainable way. So you really have to have a plan in place and a system of accumulation. You're linking the financial literacy and the onus on the investor and the person to saying, hey, if you want to be on these apps, they're wonderful. I mean, technology is a wonderful thing, right? It does give us Mm -hmm. access to something we might not have had, but you have to really know what you're doing. And it's not fair to just do something without realizing the result and then being 
frustrated or losing everything you've worked so hard to save. And that's a bad place to be. When you hear about cryptocurrency, everything is seductive. I think that brings us to a really great point of why we need sound financial advice. And we, we're focusing obviously this on working women that are mentoring and sharing. Obviously this applies to everyone. Women, we make a lot of financial decisions, a tremendous mm-hmm. amount in our household. How do we make that decision to link with a firm like yours and link with an advisor who can really guide us holistically. What is that process like? How do we interview someone? What are we looking for? Take us through this. The first thing I would say is you want to find someone who is aligned with your interests. And so to that end, you need to find an advisor who is a fiduciary. They're held to a fiduciary standard, which is a legal standard that an advisor is held by to put your client's interests first. And that is different than a broker standard where there's not that obligation to put the client's interests ahead of your own. So if you have two investments and they're similar, but one happens to put more money in the advisor's pocket, it's okay for them to choose that. I would never want anybody to work with someone who's not a fiduciary. And I think the challenge is that a lot of advisors will tell you they're a fiduciary and they're not. So it is very ambiguous. The best way is to go to a website called BrokerCheck, type in the name of the advisor that you're interviewing and you can see if it says IA, they're an advisor. If it says B, they're a broker. And if it says IA and B, they're a broker. So you only want to see IA when you pull up their name. So that's a great first step. I think one of the challenges in our country is that it is very difficult to find a fee-only advisor to do financial planning if you haven't accumulated enough savings yet. Tammy, you're so right. It really is a challenge, especially to someone who hasn't accumulated at least 100,000 in investable assets yet. It also is a challenge for someone who has more than that to determine where do I put this money and who do I place it with and who do I trust it with. It's a process. It's an evolution. And I know you know and have researched many years on this particular topic. How would you build a visual picture for us listening on where you are in that scale? When is it time to invest? And and what does that look like from a spender to a saver? to an investor, to someone who is really accumulating wealth. If you imagine a pyramid, and at the very bottom of the pyramid, you have spenders, and those spenders live paycheck to paycheck. There is no savings, there is no anything. And so those people are probably not going to get financial advice because they can't afford to pay for it and they're living hand to mouth. And then you have the next level up, which are savers. And that might be someone like my mother, who was a school teacher and she saved because she appreciated the value of saving. She knew she should save, but she didn't know anything about investing. And I would say that segment of the population, maybe they have enough to retire. Maybe they don't. It's just they're going through the motions and doing it, but they never know if they're on track. 99% of our population are in those two categories. So how do we change that? I always say that the longer time horizon you have, the best chance you have of achieving your goals because money accelerates over time. And the less time you have, the less it has chance to accelerate and the more you have to give up as a chunk of your spending to be able to accomplish your goal in the future. 
I'm thinking of that remaining 1% of folks mm -hmm. that is on this pyramid. Tell me about yeah. your practice and how you're able to help this 1% and, and the people who are wanting to accumulate to build that wealth. So the top 1% is broken down in two categories. The first category is the investor category. Generally, high income earners who've been good savers, they have a financial advisor. Maybe they're married. Maybe they have kids that are in school. That's a really good time to start thinking about the relationship that you have with your professional team. One, it simplifies your life. And two, it prevents unnecessary mistakes. When you get to the peak of the pyramid, you're at wealth creation level. So when you're at wealth creation level, oftentimes business owners, they're creating wealth. And that really requires a cohesive team effort. It doesn't really matter whether you're at investor level or wealth creator level, everyone in all of those areas would benefit from the cohesive advice. It's just a matter of whether they'll be able to find an advisor who will work with them. We all benefit from that cohesive advice. And it brings to mind the word and the term and the concept family office. Tell us about what a family mm -hmm. office is. I am so glad you asked that because I would say the majority of the U.S. does not even know what a family office is. And if you say the word, a lot of times people will think it's a real estate investment. Years ago, you had people like J.D. Rockefeller or J.P. Morgan, and these are wealthy families. And when you have that much wealth, you basically form your own company of advisors. And that's really what a family office is. It's one team of people with you as the client focused on only you. I think a lot of people who do know what a family office is might be intimidated by it, by thinking, oh, that's only for rich people. And over the last few years, it's become a model that really is more affordable for people than it used to be. To your point, if someone is coming from not even understanding what it is, I think sometimes even the simplest thought is surrounding yourself with really great people who are looking out for you. <laughs> Until you have your own family office, you have wonderful uh, folks out there like you and your team and your company, and we will have all the links on how to find you, Tammy. I love all of this advice you've given us. On that note, we want to talk about your friends and what they would say about you. I asked my guests to text a few of their friends and ask, how would they describe you? We're meeting you for the first time today. What was the feedback that you received from your friends, Tammy? Dependable, hardworking, good listener, patient, life experienced, thorough, relentless. That's a good one too. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Every Everything in, in six or seven words. It just sums you up. You've been just a breath of fresh air and financial advice for everyone listening today. So Tammy, how can our listeners find you? My firm is Family Financial. So you can go to familyfinancial.biz, B-I-Z, and find us there. And you can send us a little note under contact us. And then I'm also on, well, I'm on all the social media pages, but LinkedIn, you can find me on as well. So feel free to send me a message if anyone has any questions. Will do. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing your mentor moments, Tammy. Thank you, Rainy. I'm really excited about what you're doing and I'm happy to have been a guest today. Oh, thank you so so much. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I hope you'll walk away feeling inspired and are thinking of how a mentor moment can help you or someone you know. 
In case you haven't hit the follow button to subscribe to this show, please do so. And if you love the episode, I'd really appreciate a review. You see, this review helps Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening to us on know that other women just like you want to learn about the show and it'll help us spread the word. Let's connect on Instagram at Working Women Mentor or at Rainy Alfers. You can find all episodes online at rainyalfers.com forward slash podcast and the ability to send an audiogram of your favorite mentor moments. And we respond to everyone. I truly can't wait to hear from you. Check back weekly for new episodes and cheers until the next episode.